Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, The Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. I wanted to let you guys know I took last week off from filming so I could get over my walking pneumonia. Hopefully my voice will sound a little stronger and if there are any coughs, of course, I will edit them out. Let's get started. Days 73 through 79, Friday through Sunday, July 27th through August 2nd, 2001. Five smiley faces, i.e. bowel movements. Back home now, six days overdue at the hospital. They ignored my coughs of blood, strange bleeding, pussing wounds on my back. I hurt from coughing so much. They didn't even know what IV amount to put me on. Sent me home with legal pot, Valium, and Dilaudid, which keeps me asleep all fucking day. I really want to go shopping. Next time I go, it's Sissy, Eli, and me. I'm getting Ziola a new cage. I feel guilty for having clothes and money I want. I'm not used to it yet. Oh well. Bye. Adrian's journal entry dated July 31st, 2001. Last night, Adrian needed four milligrams of Dilata for pain and another two milligrams two hours later for breakthrough pain. I gave her another six milligrams at midnight because I never wake her up for the 2 a.m. dosage. After nibbling on a piece of toast this morning and taking her morning meds, she goes back to bed. Adrian sleeps all day long. I peek in on her every half hour or so like a nervous new mother who is afraid her newborn will stop breathing. The difference is I don't recall ever being this scared when Adrian was a baby. The first time I took Adrian on an outing, she was only five days old. Our mother said Adrian was too young, but I wanted to show her off. To whom, I don't know. Our mother didn't speak to her neighbors. I dressed baby Adrian in a strawberry print frock. The red complimented her then jet black hair. I placed my awake yet calm sister in a simple second-hand umbrella stroller. I strapped her in and covered her with a light blanket, which she pushed away. I am convinced some traits are genetic because Adrian was stubborn from birth. During the first few months of Adrian's life, I lived at the dormitory at school while mother lived in a basement apartment next to the Birmingham Zoo. I came home every weekend though, especially after Adrian was born since our mother didn't have to pay me to watch her. On a typical Saturday, I pushed Adrian in a stroller toward the zoo, explaining all the animal sounds we heard along the way. I picked up leaves, let her tiny fist crush them, and blew the bits out of her hand before she could put them in her mouth. I pointed out the kudzu, a climbing, woody vine indigenous to Japan that covers nearly every tree in Alabama. Most of the time, I just talked to her. Those regular walks became our time together. Three months later, mother moved us all into an apartment across town. 
I like to believe those weekend outings during the early months of Adrian's life influenced her. Of course, she couldn't understand what I was talking about at the time, but she loves animals and has such an appreciation for nature. When I have to look to the past to feel like I did something right, that tells me how uncertain I am about my decisions in the present. Am I giving too much Dilaudid? Too little? Do I wake her? Do I not? I don't even want to think about any choices I may face in the future. Adrian wakes up at 4 p.m. just in time for her mountain of meds and good news in the mail. The Make-A-Wish Foundation will grant her wish. Adrian wanted to see Dave again and she figured the foundation was her best shot. Since she is drowsy, I read the letter to her. We are happy to inform you that Emma, her legal name, has been medically qualified to receive a wish. Adrian replies, cool, I'm going to make a list. Oh, and we need to tell them to call me Adrian. I read the types of wishes that cannot be granted. I warn Adrian, they don't grant wishes involving firearms, and she gives me that closed mouth, almost smile as if to say, right, sissy, I want a gun. It takes a lot to make her laugh these days. As Adrian ruminates over her wishes, I am stuck on the words medically qualified. Is that Make-A-Wish's official euphemism for terminally ill? On their website, the organization uses the term life-threatening medical conditions. Of course, I knew Adrian would qualify, but no, I cannot think about it. I want to write the foundation a letter and ask for a wish for myself. I wish I could walk in the house and see Adrian sitting outside her bedroom door, giggling with her girlfriend, Lori, after their wrestling in the hallway left a hole in the wall. I remember Adrian's astonishment. I didn't kill her because it was an accident. I wish I could substitute teach for one of Adrian's teachers again and have to tell her to shut her mouth because she thought she could talk because Sissy was teaching class. I wish she would ask me to take her and her friends to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and this time I wouldn't say no, I'm too tired, ask John. Even though my desires are not on their list of exclusions, the Make-A-Wish Foundation cannot make my wishes come true. They are not able to make things the way they were, and that is my ultimate wish. Adrian refuses to take her Valium, barely eats dinner, and stays awake long enough to take her 8 p.m. meds. Then she falls asleep with John doing hand duty. He stays in her room with her for a few hours, as he does most nights, watching television with little or no sound. I leave them alone so they can have their time together while I read my books or do research on the internet, the only weapons I have in my arsenal. I cannot focus, though. I wonder how couples survive this thing. John and I have had sex once since Adrian's diagnosis, and for the first time in our relationship, he's not complaining about our sex life, or lack thereof. Neither one of us cares, or at least I don't. I picture us sitting in a car at an intersection in the middle of the night. The world feels empty, like right after a storm ends. The darkness presses down on us and we see only a red stoplight blinking on, off, on, off, on, off. We can't turn the car around and go back where we were, 
but we can't seem to move forward either. The red light taunts us. Stop. Go. Stop. Go. Stop. Go. But we remain stuck. I crack the window for fresh air. Adrian sleeps most of the weekend, but finding a comfortable position is difficult. The normal 45-degree angle provided by her numerous pillows puts too much pressure on her enlarged spleen. Lying flat is out of the question. I try to convince her to sleep on her stomach, but despite taking two to three birth control pills a day, her menstrual period continues unabated and the cramping is too intense. The time warp song from the Rocky Horror Picture Show flashes in my head. It's just a jump to the left. No, she can't recline on her left side. That's where the spleen is. And then a step to the right. Duh, the liver is on that side. Since we seem to have no other options, I rearrange Adrian's pillows, place a heating pad under her spleen, and give her pain pills around the clock. She drifts in and out of sleep, once more resting on her back. By Sunday evening, Adrian says she is still tired, but feeling much better. Adrian's barely spoken since we've been home, so I'm relieved when she nags me about the Montel letter the next day. How come we haven't heard anything, sissy? I don't know, kiddo. Did you tell him I want to meet him? Did you tell him about my cancer and everything that's happened? Yes, yes, I did. I even sent pictures, remember? No, I don't. That seems like a long time ago. Can you read me the letter again? Sure. Excerpt from the Montel Williams letter written on July 10th, 2001. I know of an extraordinary teenager who wants to meet you. Her name is Adrian Wilson and she is my sister. Adrian is 15 years old and she just got diagnosed with cancer two months ago. Adrian has been in my care since she was eight years old. I know she is not the first teenager with cancer, nor will she be the last, but she is a very special person who has touched many lives, especially mine. Many people think she is lucky to have me, but the truth is I'm lucky to have her. She is the light of my life, and despite her illness, she has never given up hope or lost her optimistic spirit. She's a fighter, and she's been fighting battles her whole life. We hope by coming on your show that we can accomplish a few things. Make people more aware of this type of cancer, HCC, and encourage them to be tested for hepatitis. Find more oncologists who are familiar with this cancer and have had some success. Meet a survivor of HCC. The statistics are just terrible. And of course, meet you. Okay, that sounds good enough. I want to work out now. What? I can't believe what I'm hearing. Sissy, I have no ass meat. My calves are disappearing. I need to work out. I'm going to walk on the treadmill for 20 minutes. No, you're not. I'm wondering if Adrian's Monday dose of epigen had caffeine in it when Tess gave it to her this morning. I know it's supposed to help her anemia. Hell, it was my suggestion, but there's no way a drug can work that fast. I feel a negotiation coming on, and Adrian learned how to haggle from the best. Me. You can walk for 10 minutes at a slow speed. She grins. 15? 10. Final offer, and we do your physical therapy afterward. Okay, 
She plugs in the treadmill and it comes to life after being dormant for over two months. Adrian holds onto the rails and walks. I watch her in amazement. The last time I worked out was the last normal day of our lives, May 15th. I had been training for a marathon. When I received a flyer in the mail from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, I joined their team and training marathon program to raise money for cancer research. I thought the flyer was a sign I needed to conquer my fear of cancer and I should do something I thought I could never do, finish a marathon, all 26.2 miles of it. I raised over $2,000, but I never ran the San Diego Marathon because it happened the first Sunday in June. I hadn't trained in weeks and I didn't want to leave Adrian for an entire day, especially our first weekend home from the hospital. Like many goals in my life, running a marathon fell off the list along with pursuing my acting career and getting a permanent teaching position. None of those things matter now because they cannot make Adrian well. I am so lost in thought, I forgot to keep track of time. How long has it been, Adrian? Uh, 12 minutes? Stop, now. Okay, okay. Look, sissy, I went one third of a mile. That's great, now let's stretch you out. I proceed to do the exercises the physical therapist taught me in the hospital. I massage Adrian's calves too because I don't want her to be sore tomorrow. All women in our mother's family are blessed or cursed with shapely legs, even the ones who don't exercise at all. Now Adrian's legs look like they belong to other kinfolk, as southerners would say. Any fat she had on her thighs has disappeared. Her body is attacking what's left, the lean muscle mass. She's no stick figure but Adrian's physical appearance has deteriorated. I need to weigh her soon. God, I hope the Marinol puts some meat on her bones. I usually call the lab the day after the in-home visit to get the results of Adrian's blood test. I can't believe it when I hear the outcome from yesterday's blood draw. I ask the technician to repeat the results as I write them down. Those numbers cannot be right. For God's sake, Adrian exercised yesterday for the first time since she's been sick. How can those numbers be correct? The lowest her WBC has ever been was 3,000. Low, but still in four digits. Now it's 800? With an ANC of 112, the doctors might hospitalize Adrian. I can't let them do that. We just got out of that place. And her platelets are 7,000? From six digits to four digits? That's a huge drop. With her hemoglobin still below eight, it seems like the blood transfusion in the hospital made no difference whatsoever. Someone will call us soon. If they want to admit Adrian in the hospital, I can refuse. If they want us to come to the clinic for a platelet transfusion because she must need one, then fine. I wonder if the doctors can do both the platelets and blood on the same day. Probably not. I look over at Adrian, who is reading Lois Lowry's Gathering Blue, an assigned book in preparation for Honors English in the fall. She's not going to be happy about returning to Children's Hospital so soon, even for a blood transfusion, which they will definitely do. The hospital called. We arrived the following morning. Our case manager, Teresa, told us to be prepared to stay all day. This time, Adrian will receive two units of blood since one wasn't enough to boost her hemoglobin last time. When I ask about the platelets, Teresa says she'll talk to Dr. Marco, but he didn't mention it to her. 
platelets bounce back faster. So as long as Adrian doesn't bleed, she will be fine. How comforting. A nurse brings over two units of donor-directed blood. You're one lucky girl, she says. This blood is specifically for you. Adrian and I look at each other, and then I remember how everyone we know seems to have the same blood type as Adrian, except for me. I think Alex donated blood for you weeks ago. You mean, I'm getting some of Alex's blood into my body? asked Adrian. Yep. Ooh, that is so weird. The nurse laughs at Adrian's bemused expression. It's kind of cool, though, too. Like, he's part of me. I wish Alex could hear her now. I doubt he realizes how much his donation of A-positive blood, weird and cool, means to Adrian. I watch TV and read while Adrian studies the materials for her driver's permit exam. Her health teacher taught the course during the last few weeks of school. When her peers were learning which direction to turn the wheels when parked at a curb, Adrian was undergoing her first round of chemo. As long as she learns the information and passes the test, the high school will not make her repeat that portion of the class. Unfortunately, the California Department of Motor Vehicles handbook is far from stimulating, and Adrian soon falls asleep. In the spring of 1996, I bought my 1987 Honda CRX at the Los Angeles Public Auction. While people are allowed to examine the engine and interior of the cars before bidding begins, they are not permitted to drive the cars. The CRX was in fair condition except for two things. It was a manual transmission, something I failed to notice, and the car wouldn't accelerate past 55 miles per hour on the freeway. Even though the first car I learned to drive, our mother's Toyota Celica had a stick shift, I had not driven one in eight years. Reteaching myself to drive a manual transmission with 10-year-old Adrian sitting in the passenger seat, sighing every time the car stalled, grated on my nerves. Each sputter of the engine made an impression on her. I am never learning to drive a stick, she declared within a few weeks. Ever. I couldn't blame her. One time it took me 20 minutes to back out of a driveway. The only cool thing about our new used car was she thought it looked like the one from the Back to the Future movies. I laughed when she told me. My CRX was no DeLorean. When we discovered my car couldn't drive fast without shaking violently, I told Adrian our car was like an old woman. That's it, sissy. We'll call her Dolores. The name stuck, even though the acceleration vibration problem was repaired. Though Adrian likes Dolores, she refuses to learn how to drive her. When she gets better, she wants John to teach her how to drive his car, a Honda Accord with an automatic transmission. I don't allow myself to think about the possibility she may never drive a car. She just won't drive my car. The blood transfusion makes a difference this time. I don't know if it is the quality of Alex's blood or the quantity, but Adrian's hemoglobin rises from 7.9 to 11.0. Though her platelets are still far below normal, her immune system is strong enough for her to face the public. She wants to go shopping tomorrow, and we're planning a trip to medieval times this weekend with Adam, whom we haven't seen in ages. Now I understand what Anya's mother, Dr. Sokozy, meant when she talked about measuring winning in terms of good days and good hours. 
When Adrian's counts are up and she feels good, like her old self, we are winning on those days. When I see her white blood cell count has increased to 6,000 in three days, joy floods my heart for what is the smallest of victories. Adrian, wanting to go shopping, reading for school, studying for her driver's permit, laughing at the TV show South Park, instant messaging her friends online, going over her allotted time on the computer, talking too long on the phone with her boyfriend, arguing with me. These activities are all triumphs because they represent normal teenage behavior. Each one is a sign. We are winning. Fuck you, no change. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. Please subscribe to my channel or subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.